So as Steve said, I'm going to be reading from uh, Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 1. And to remind you where we're at, um, at this part of the Bible, um, Moses is standing on one side of the Jordan looking over into Canaan, and he's with a new generation of Israelites that have grown up in the desert for the last 40 years, and he's recounting to them um, what, is, what has happened. So starting chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon at Edrai, had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore to you to give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. And then we'll skip a brief passage where he's recounting to them about how he appointed some leaders to help him with his duties to administer and, um, and how he also, as they were on the verge of going into the land, they decided it would be a good idea to send spies in to check it out. And they come back and they bring a pretty good report and some of the fruits of the land. So picking up again in verse 26. But... You were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son all the way you went until you just reached this place. In spite of all this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him 
and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either. But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Thanks, Chris, and thanks for the reminder of the context. Keep those words that were read in mind, because as we work through or look across four chapters, I won't reread chunks of that, so just remember it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your word, please help us to hear. Um, Lord, please, more importantly, help us to obey. Please help us to trust you enough to do what you say. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once when I was quite young, I had a hammer fall on my head. It explains a lot, I know. The reason it happened was because I didn't trust my brother enough to do exactly what he said. So he was up in the cubby house tree at the top and I was underneath the cubby house tree. And my brother said very clearly, Steve, get out of, actually he said, Stephen, get out of the way. And I questioned. Instead of obeying immediately, I questioned, I said, why? Donk. Self-explanatory, I guess. And the hammer on the head, it could explain the loss of hair too, I think. But then when you meet Michael, you think, what fell on his head? I don't know. Have you ever been slow to obey? You, know, you, you question the instructions given. If, if, if you can't trust someone, you're not going to do what they say. You're going to find every reason not to do what they say. But there's other people who you would trust with your life. And when they ask you to do something, then you will obey and you'll ask questions later. You'll do immediately what they want and get the clarification later because you will trust them with your life. As you're looking at this part of the Bible, we're being urged to trust God like that. The more you get to know God, the more you know that you can trust God with your life. God's 100% sovereign. He's 100% reliable and faithful. So when God calls us to obey, we should just obey. No questions asked. The book of Deuteronomy calls for love and obedience towards God. And so as we open the book of Deuteronomy, what we're looking at is we're looking at Moses telling the Israelites to learn from their parents' mistakes. Don't follow in their mistakes. So the previous generation, they failed to obey God, and Moses says, don't do what your parents did. Deuteronomy is a record of Moses' last words, but God's word through Moses. Moses' last words to the nation of Israel. God's final words through Moses. And it opens with a challenge to learn from the mistakes of their parents. Um, The context of Deuteronomy, as Chris pointed out, is Moses speaking to his people at the end of 40 years of punishment in the desert, 40 years of wandering around in the desert. If you wind the clock back and look back over the bits that were read just then, if you wind it back even further, God used Moses as the means to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. 
he gathered them around Mount Sinai, and at, and at Mount Sinai he told them exactly how he wanted them to live as his people. Meanwhile, while Moses is up the mountain, the people built a golden calf. God threatened to wipe the people out. Um, Moses pleaded that God wouldn't do that, and God relented. God continued to give them his laws and his instructions, and then he led them through the desert to the southwest tip of the land of Canaan, this land that he'd promised them. But again, when they get there, they fail to obey, just like they did at the mountain. They didn't trust God enough to go into the land. So in Deuteronomy, it's 40 years since that day that they failed to go into the land, 40 years since they disobeyed, 40 years since Israel stood on the border of Canaan and sent their spies in to check out the land. They sent in 12 spies and the spies came back and all of them, without fail, said it is an amazing place, a land that's plentiful, desirable, flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of the 12 spies were scared. They were scared of the, the fortification in the cities in the land and they were scared because um, there, there were giants there, the people of Anak, the Anakites, big, scary, giant people. Ten of the spies said, we can't go up, the people are stronger than us, we're like grasshoppers to them. And only two spies, Joshua and Caleb, expressed confidence that the Lord's in control, he said we can have this land, let's go in and take it. The people, what they did was they feared the nations around more than they feared the Lord their God. They complained against God. They accused God. They said to God, why would you bring us out of the desert here to watch us die? And so God said he'd send a plague to wipe them out, and Moses pleads, and God relents. And you can read all about it in Numbers chapter 14, verse 29. Back in Numbers 14, 29, you read, this is the consequences from God. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census, who was grumbled against me. So they did a census. They knew how many fighting men they had. Um, God goes, all of them will die in the desert. Verse 30, none of you will enter the land. I swore to up, with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. And then you jump a few verses down. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins. Now here they are, um, 40 years later, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3, on the east of the Jordan, so they're on the, the northeast of the land this time, second attempt, standing there looking over the land, the children of the rebels, all the rebels have now died, the children of the rebels waiting to go into the land. So that's, that's the context of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses reminding the people of how, to, how they should live. You'll see as in these early chapters, it's like a history lesson. Don't do what your parents did. Don't fail to obey. Um, when you look across, my, um, across Deuteronomy, there's basically three speeches or three sermons. If you do a word count, you'll see very long sermons, some of them. But three, um, three speeches. And the first sermon is, is in chapters one to four. And that's what we're looking at today. This is like a, a very big flyover of the book, so you get a bit of context. First sermon goes from chapters 1 to 4. It's a history lesson. Um, chapter 4 concludes with a short narrative section. And the second sermon begins. At 5 verse 1, it goes, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, and introduces the next sermon or the next speech. 
The second sermon Moses delivers is a massive retelling of the law. The law that they had at Mount Sinai back in Exodus is being retold to them. Beginning with the Ten Commandments, uh, you'll see them in Exodus chapter 20. Here they are repeated again. This second giving of the law, that's where this book gets its name from. So when it was translated into, into Greek, um, you can check with Wes later, the Greek means something like second law or second giving of the law, and we've retained that in our English. But it's not actually a second law. It's a repetition of the law. Third sermon starts in chapter 29, verse 2, with exactly the same words as the second. It goes, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them. And the third sermon looks to the future, and it's kind of restating the covenant between the Lord and his people, and also leads into the handover between Moses to Joshua and includes songs that you may like to sing at church. So that's the shortest possible flyer of Deuteronomy to give you a bit of a feel for the way this works. And today we're just looking at the history lesson in chapters 1 to 4. Moses reminds the people um, what led to them standing where they are that day and urges them to learn from their parents' mistakes. Um, Their lessons they learn are relevant to us today. So as we read these instructions Moses gave to his people, we read with our New Testament lens. And I'll show you the New Testament lens we're given by Paul. So... The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 points back to this experience of Israel in the desert and says in chapter 10, verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Or down in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So as we look at these History lessons for the people of Israel, they're lessons we need to learn as well. First lesson is, you'll see in the sermon outline, God's in control of everything. Basic. Kind of stuff you should know. But the lesson is to learn that God is in control of everything. And it's, you know, it's shown to us in numerous little ways through the passage. So if you look at chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, verse 2, the narrator gives us a hint or a reminder that God's in control. In, in brackets, there's this bit that says in chapter 1, verse 2, it takes 11 days to go from, uh, from Horeb, or that's Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea. So if you can see on the map behind me, vaguely, the, um, the blue star down the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, that's roughly where Sinai or Horeb was. It takes 11 days to get to the green star, the southwest corner of the Promised Land. That's where the people failed to enter. So the narrator is reminding us, the people of Israel, they could have gone from Mount Sinai where they were given the law, trekked for 11 days and been entering the land. That could have happened. But then you look at verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. See how the narrator is making it abundantly clear. God's in control of this. They've spent, these people have spent 40 years of God leading them around in the desert, looking after them, giving them manna to eat when there's no food, providing for them. Um, the people of Israel, they would, they would set up camp and then when the pillar of fire or of cloud would lift off the tabernacle, they'd pack down and follow the fire or the cloud. 
God led his people sovereignly around in the desert, purposefully in God's eyes. So 1 verse 3 um, presents this as exactly what God prescribed. This is God in control, this wandering in the desert. And even now, the words of Moses that he's speaking, they're exactly what God wants him to speak. God is in control even of, of Moses' words. So the lesson for the Israelites in the plains of Moab and the lesson for us today, the simple lesson, God's sovereign. God's in control over everything. You see it in the narrator's words. You see it in Moses' words. Down in chapter 1, verse 6, Moses says it was God who told the Israelites to leave Sinai. And you read ahead again and again and again. It's God who directs his people. God says do this. God says do that. It's the Lord who leads them by the pillar of fire and smoke, the Lord who fights for them. Um, God's in control over everything. It's being underlined for us as you look at this history lesson. Um, there's another example of it down in chapter 2. We didn't read this, but if you look ahead in chapter 2, uh, Moses says that God has given land to Abraham's um, descendants, even to Lot's descendants. So if you look at um, chapter 2, verse 20, there's another little bit in parentheses in brackets it goes that too was considered the land of the Rephaites who used to live there but the Ammonites called them Zamazamites verse 21 they were a people strong and numerous and as tall as the Anakites you see the importance of that little point there these people were giants too but then it says the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites who drove them out and settled in their place so God in his sovereignty gave the Ammonites a land gave the descendants of Lot a land, gave Abraham's descendants a land by driving out the people that were in there, just like he's promised he will do now for this new generation. Giants like the ones Israel were afraid of 40 years earlier. Moses is saying, God can do it. God is in control. Trust God. In, um, in verse 22, Deuteronomy 2, verse 22, the descendants of Esau, they also have a land of their own because God gave it to them, the people of Edom. So God's in control. Um, as the Israelites stand again at the borders of Canaan, Moses reminds the people, he can do it. He's done it before. The Israelites time and time and time again manage to ignore, manage to forget, manage to disregard the fact that God is in control over everything. And I keep saying it's a simple lesson, but why do we struggle to trust that God is in control? Because we do. We tend to live like we're in control of what's happening around us. We, we get everything in our own hands rather than trust that actually God's in control. Rather than take the time to pray and ask God to work, we get in there busily doing it ourselves, showing that actually how much do we trust that God's the one who's in control? The lesson they had to learn back then is the lesson we need to learn today. And why do we insist on learning it the hard way? Why do we insist on doing things our way and watching it break instead of trusting actually God's way is right. He's sovereign. He's in control. It's when things fall apart, when we see that actually we can't do it, we can't make these people behave the way we... That's when we're driven to prayer, isn't it? Just cut the pain. Go straight to the point. God's in control. He's the one who's boss. So the first lesson, then and now, is that God is in control over everything. And that connects to the second lesson that you've got here in front of us. Second lesson is God is faithful to his promises. So the people of Israel, they're descendants of Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel. Um, Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. 
And then if you dig back into Genesis, you'll see the promises that God made to Abraham. So God singled out Abraham. Um, he instructed him to leave the land of Haran and go to the land he will show um, that God wants him to have. And God promised Abraham that he would make Abraham into a great nation of people, that he'd give him a land and that he would bless all the nations through Abraham. This, this promise of God's people in God's place under God's rule in a way that is a blessing to all other nations. Um, fast forward one or two years and we come to Deuteronomy. Abraham's long dead, but this is his descendants. And when you look at chapter 1, verse 20, there's echoes of Genesis in these words. When God led the parents out of slavery in Egypt, there were many, many, many of them because God had made them into a great nation. So chapter 1, verse 10 goes, The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as numerous as the stars in the sky. You will hear those words back in Genesis when God made the promises to Abraham. Um, May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he's promised. So Moses retells these things to this new generation of Israelites to remind them God is faithful. God keeps his promises. And God's promised land to Abraham. He will give it. Forty years earlier, God through Moses instructed Abraham's descendants to go in and claim the land. And so the recap stuff that Chris read for us, um, 1 verse 19, for example, then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through the, all the vast and dreadful wilderness um, that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you've reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Trust God that he will keep his word, that he will keep his promises. So first lesson, God's sovereign over everything. Second lesson, God keeps his promises. And again, they're not, they're not difficult lessons. You can get your head around them. But we struggle on this one too. God's promised that Jesus will return. Think about the passage we looked at last week. Think about the implications for us. Do you actually trust that Jesus could return any minute? Does that shape the way that you live? Are you living like you trust God will keep his word, keep his promises? Um, God's promised forgiveness and new life to anyone who put their trust in Jesus. So do you? Do you trust in Jesus and his death in your place? Or are you living like you don't believe that God keeps these promises that you find in the Bible? First lesson, God's in control. Second lesson, God's faithful to his promises. Third lesson, um, God calls on his people to obey him. So 1 verse 26, Deuteronomy 1 verse 26, um, looking back again to this previous time, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large. The walls up to the sky. We've seen the Anarchites there. Here's the people 40 years earlier grumbling, um, making impossible accusations against God, things that cannot be true. But they're caving, giving way to fear, fear of giants, fear of um, fortifications. And so God punishes them. You look and you think, if only they could trust that God is in control, that he keeps his promises, and he wants them to obey. If only they could. 
And so Moses' last words to his people, uh, to the people of Israel, start with this history lesson. Learn from the mistakes of the past. Learn to love God and obey him. Um, we're kind of doing this sort of brush across the first four chapters. There's more stuff in there. I'll show you a few more little details. Um, have a quick look at some other bits. So chapter 2, verse 14, when you look at that, Moses reminds the people of the events that happened in, in the most recent two years. So after 38 years, the fighting men have actually died. So these last two years, he reminds them how they trekked up the east side of the Jordan, um, stepping around the descendants of Esau, or Edom, and the descendants of Lot. And Moses reminds them how they've already defeated Sihon, the Amorite king, and Og, the king of Bashan, they've taken their possession, their land. Um, the land of the Amorites and the land of Bashan, they've been distributed among a couple of the tribes of Israel. And they'll stay on that side while the other, the other tribes cross over. They'll send their fighting men over, but they've already got their inheritance. You look at this and you think, Moses is reminding the people that even in the last two years, you've seen God at work, his sovereign hand, he's keeping his promises. Another little bit of um, stuff to think about. So in chapter 3, verse 21 and following, Moses pleads one last time to cross over into the Jordan. So in Numbers, the book of Numbers, Moses is told you're not going to enter. There's an incident with a rock where he kind of took the, 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 um, the glory for bringing water out of a rock. And so God goes, you're not entering the land. But here, I'm guessing Moses has been pleading on his own behalf. I'm guessing like he would plead for the people numerous times that God would spare then. I'm guessing Moses has been pleading for a rethink on God's part. But 3 verse 26, he's denied. He's not going to enter the land. He needs to hand over to Joshua, one of those spies. He'll take the people into the land. And then chapter 4, Moses calls the people to be obedient to the Lord. So 4 verse 1, Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord, your God, that I'm giving you. We've kind of done this flyover of the first four chapters. They are a history lesson. Um, the first sermon from Moses before the people attempt to enter the land again. Moses tells the people, gather on the plains of Moab to learn from the mistakes of their parents to learn to be obedient to God because God's in control and he keeps his promises and he wants them to obey. We look at this as New Testament Christians. Has anything changed for us? You wind the, the clock forward a few thousand years. Anything changed for us? God hasn't changed. Same God. The God we serve is the same God in control of everything. who keeps his word and wants us to obey. So God hasn't changed. The people haven't changed. Um, people today are as rebellious as the people back then. Something that has changed is Jesus has come. That's a fairly big change. Jesus became one of us, became a man. Jesus never grumbled like the people of Israel in the desert. He never complained, never failed to trust God the Father. In fact, when you look at the way Jesus was tempted, if you look into Matthew 4 or to Luke 4 in the Gospels, when Jesus is tempted by Satan, he bounces backwards from Deuteronomy to Satan. Um, through Jesus' death in our place, we stand before God forgiven. 
And through Jesus continued working us by his spirit, we can be obedient to God. But you get to see more of that as you work your way deeper into Deuteronomy. Um, Our New Testament perspective shows us that God's promises to Abraham, they are fully fulfilled in the work of Jesus. Uh, As a way of kind of closing off this first sermon, jump I haven't got the passages on the screen because it's good to look at them. Jump ahead to Hebrews. So go to a book in the New Testament towards the back, Hebrews chapter 3. As the people are preparing to enter into the land of Canaan, they're preparing to to enter and to to have rest in the land. That's the kind of the the picture. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, partway through verse 7, the writer of the Hebrews, he's quoting Psalm 95. He says, today... If you Christians today, today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. He's kind of writing, the psalmist is writing us into that experience in the wilderness. If God speaks to you today, don't harden your hearts like they did. Verse 9, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Then you turn to chapter four of Hebrews and the writer of the Hebrews assumes that even when Joshua brought the people into the land of Canaan, so you've got to read ahead from Deuteronomy into Joshua, even when Joshua brought the people into the land of Canaan, God's promises weren't yet fully fulfilled. The promise of ultimate rest was still out there. The promise that God's nation, in God's land, under God's rule, it's not a full picture yet. So in Hebrews 4 verse 8, the writer of the Hebrews says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. He wouldn't have spoken through the psalmist. Um, verse 9, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For every, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of their example of disobedience you look at that you let it sink in let's learn the lessons from these people who have gone before us let's learn the same lesson now that the people of israel needed to learn in the lands of moab let's learn to obey god to trust that he is completely in control to trust that he keeps his word And he wants us to obey. The writer of the Hebrews says in 4 verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We look to Jesus as the one who's dealt with our sin. We look to Jesus as the one who's our priest interceding for us. And we look to Jesus who is the one who's gone before us, enjoying the resurrection like we hope to as well. Let's trust Jesus and obey God in every way. As we keep working our way through Deuteronomy and as it continues to unfold, this is the, 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 the first sermon that sets the tone. Let's learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, even this part of Deuteronomy, preserved for us, the words Moses spoke to the people of Israel. Lord, please help us to trust that you are in control. Please forgive us when we pretend that we are. Lord, please help us to trust that you are faithful to your promises. And please forgive us for when we doubt. And Lord, please help us to be obedient to you in every way.
And Father, forgive us for when we fail through Jesus' death in our place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.